Welcome back to episode 92 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we not only like to, to glorify the glories of ratings gain, that is great, but we also dive into the plateaus and even the pits of despair below that. Hopefully that's not you this week. All right. <laughs> if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. And I want to thank Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donna Rich Burgess, Brandon Hallside, David Schreiber, Lindsay Newhall, and Jeff Peterson. Uh, you can get merch on the merch store. The mug is still there. My daughter's still checking every day. Do we sell any mugs, Dad? Because uh, she makes so much money off these mugs. She, she doesn't see any of the money. It's quite funny. Um, I have been streaming on uh, Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. Uh, I'm doing Karpov games, uh, Capablanca endings, uh, my own games, some puzzles, a wide variety of things. If you want to appear on the show, you can fill out the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. And uh, this week, I'm going to bring in Matt. He is a national master whose passion is chess improvement and, or, and sorry, his, his passion is chess improvement data, and he is a chess entrepreneur. He has his chess goals website, and we're going to talk a bit about Matt's journey, but he's not really into improving his own game right now. So we're actually going to spend quite a bit of time talking about how he recommends other people improve and then try to apply his chess goals program to my own game and see if Matt can set up a program that will take me to National Master in two weeks. Okay. He doesn't know that's happening. He did not make that promise. That's just an absurd thing I said right now. But Matt, welcome to the show. And have you played any chess yet today? Thanks for having me, Kevin. I have not played any chess. Um, I've only watched uh, some of your videos on YouTube. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. So um, so you're you're getting better already. That's That's what you're saying. Yeah, I count that as chess improvement content. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I guess the first place I want to start is this. Um, where are you in your own chess improvement? Is this something where, as a national master, you're just pushing for I am right now? Or are you sort of putting your own improvement on the back burner? Where are you at right now? Um, so I'm 37 years old now. I I made a push around age 25 to get from mm. a 2100 USCF player to 2200. So that had always been a big goal of mine, hit National Master. Um, and I was able to get that by age 29. But the last seven or eight years, it's just been on and, on and off. You know, I do some studying here and there. But I think, you know, for me to get to the next level, it would take a ton of effort. And lately, I just like focusing my chess time on helping others improve. Okay. Did you ever have a moment where you were like, ooh, I'm National Master. How about I push for four years for I am? Or was it for you like, I reached my goal. I'm self-aware enough to know what it would take to make the IM. And I just don't have that right now. I think, yeah, more of the latter. It's like, I see that next level, which would maybe be FM. And mm. I just, I don't think it's as fun of a game to play at that high of a level. You know, like FM and higher, the number of mistakes is so small. I don't find as much enjoyment in that, like classical chess at an FM level. Oh, that's really interesting. I've actually been sort of reflecting on that it's like when is chess the most fun and i wonder if what's where my high school students are at where they're just like chess seems fun i'm playing it now and i'm like cool like what do you do to get better at chess and they're like what do you mean i just fire up games and play against people at my rating we're both 700 we yeah. both blunder six times and then i sometimes win I, yeah. I don't know maybe that's the most fun way to play chess i'm not sure I feel like Magnus is kind of onto that now too. You know, he just really enjoys playing online blitz rapid. 
it's, I think it's just more fun for him. Not, not too stressful. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'm still really enjoying my journey. I feel like classical chess gives me time to play a better game to make less mistakes. And it's not to that point yet where it's just two perfect games and draws every time. It's like every game I play, even if it's a draw, you can isolate many spots where you're like, you actually could have just flat out won the game right there. Like there were, there were lots of opportunities. So I'm, I'm enjoying um, my spot. I, I guess let's talk about um, on your own journey. Was there anything that you felt like really propelled you or did you, do most of your improvement as a young child and and you have recollections of how that even worked. Yeah. Most of my improvement was as a child. And I think I would say there's three main factors um, for my own improvement. Number one was playing a ton of games. I just love to play anyone who wanted to play a game of chess. I would play them. Um, When I was real young, there wasn't really online chess yet. So it was all OTB. Um, But then when I was like middle school and, and older, I started playing on the internet chess club And number two was I had some coaches and the main thing that my coaches and I would do is just analyze my own, my own games, um, or sometimes games of other players that were maybe instructive. Um, and I think like, those are the two main things. If you can play a lot of games, analyze those games. But then number three is you just, you really have to love chess. Like whatever you're doing, you have to make it fun. And throughout my chess career, I always enjoyed the process. So it wasn't like, oh man, I have to do a checklist of 30 chess puzzles and deep mm-hmm. calculation and all these things that I would just dread doing. I didn't really read a lot of books. I just did things that were enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. That seems like the normal kid path. Mm-hmm. Um, my child is interesting. She's eight and that's very much what she does. She just does what she wants, but it, what it does not include is looking at her own games. She hates looking at her own games yeah. and I kind of want just want her to have fun. So I don't really force it on her every now and then she'll let me look at a win, but only the good parts. She'll be like, no, no, dad, dad, you have to skip the next eight moves. And I'm like, why? She's like, just trust me. You just have to skip them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of baffling for for me because for me as an adult improver, I'm very self-reflective. I'm like, I want to see where I made the mistakes. I want to catalog why I made them. I want to try to tackle uh, how to prevent that uh, from happening again. And she's like, no, no, this is what you do. You stick your head deep in the sand and then you yeah. just keep making the same mistake and it's fine. So, Maybe she needs a reward-based system where if she can give you like one positive and one constructive takeaway every game, mm, accumulate those and get some sort of reward. That's pretty good. We do have a battle pass program going where oh. when she does chess puzzles, um, every 50 is like another spot on the battle pass and she can... Uh, exchange it for for things such as she gets dad's seat during tv time which is a big one like that's dad's seat like no one gets dad's seat what are you talking about it's like the relaxing recliner in the room (laughs) it's just a regular spot on the couch even it's nothing special at all (laughs) (laughs) you gave it value though (laughs) exactly i gave it value by sitting in that spot so yeah okay so interesting stuff there and then what did you do you said you you did make a push from 2100 uh, to 2200 as an adult, any secret things you did there? Or did you just isolate your weaknesses and work on them? I did a little bit of coaching. Um, I did a few lessons with Grandmaster Delchev. Um, mm. And he kind of pointed out a few main areas to work on. But the thing I didn't really like with coaching was one, it costs money. <laughs> it adds <laughs> up. 
Um, yeah. And two, he would give me too much work. I think, oh. I think he expected too much out of me. Uh, but what helped the most was I had a training partner in town and he was a stronger uh, NM, probably like 2270 USCF and mm. really strong at tactics and really strong at openings. And my strengths tend to be all the other stuff, strategy, end games, mm. uh, calculation. So him and I working together, I think kind of fixed some of the holes in my game and I, it really improved my openings and just kind of my tenacity out of the opening. Like I, I had a much sharper style and I think that kind of pushed me over the hump. Interesting. So do you recommend that even if it's online, like finding an online sparring partner who's, I don't know, near your level, slightly better to work with? I think so. I think it just makes it fun. Um, like sometimes Scott and I would get together in person and we would do like a six hour training session on a Saturday if nothing was going on, you know, wow. a little breaks yeah. or like you get a yeah. pizza or something, but it's that sort of focused training is really hard to just do on your own. Yeah, I agree. Cause I mean, I want to do that. I was on spring break this week and I had a lot of grading, but still it'd be like in my downtime, I'd do some chess and then I'd be like, eh, I did some chess. Good job, Kevin. Now yeah. I can uh, play this video game for a little while. Whereas if I had a sparring partner who was like, well, let's do this now. Let's do this now. I would just be like, cool, that's fun. Let's keep doing it. Um, so yeah, I see that. Have you ever um, taught or attended chess camps? I have not. I so want to go to a yeah. chess camp. Like that's like the dream of mine is to go to a chess camp. Yeah. So that's kind of the environment where it's just like you take breaks, but it's really all focused on chess and you just kind of immerse yourself in it. Yeah. Are there a lot of those for adults or, or should I just fill out the form and be like, I'm eight and then just show up? <laughs> you could. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of them will be geared towards kids, but have like adult or advanced sections as well. Huh. Okay. But I haven't looked in a, in a long time at what camps are out there. Yeah, I haven't really either. I was thinking, I mean, it's too much for me right now to set up. But I would love to just set up chess camps and it would just be a selfish thing. Like it would be for me. And then, yeah, <laughs> other people could come and offset the cost, cost of the coaching staff. Yeah, uh, you should yeah. do it. Just do a Saturday, like five, six hours of a break. You know, a some Saturday. Time. No, Matt. No, Matt, you don't get this. It needs to be like two weeks in a beautiful location. I like, <laughs> okay. gotta do this right, Matt. And my right. wife has to be like, sure, that sounds great. Just go. I'll take care of the kids for two weeks. That sounds amazing. You live somewhere warm? <laughs> I do actually. I live in Los Angeles. So we could we could feasibly do it here. I guess for a lot of people, this might be a destination city. For me, it's just where I live. So it's it's less exciting to do here. Yeah, I'm in Minnesota. So like this time of year, it's uh, we're still oh, waiting yeah. for spring. <laughs> That's a great destination place. <laughs> yeah. I used to play a competitive card game in uh, Minnesota in November is when they would hold their world championships. And I was always like, really, we're going to Minnesota in, in November. November. Like, what yeah. is wrong with you people? <laughs> you might run into snow in November. Already. Yes, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit of snow. Okay. Uh, it was uh, two games that I was good at were uh, a Game of Thrones card game and uh, the Star Wars CCG card game. The company is called Fantasy Flight. So, OK, yeah, they're they're not doing as well these days, but, you know, they, they had their glory days. OK, so you improved as an adult. You said I think it's interesting that you said um, your coach would give you too much work. Was it one of these sort of misunderstandings where you were like, I really want to push the master. You know, I want to put in a lot of time. And he was like, oh, really? You I do? think so. 
yeah. great. Or was he just one of these coaches who was like, this is what you need to do eight hours a day. And you were like, whoa, I never said I wanted to do that. What happened there? I think it was, you know, he saw my level and saw where I wanted to get to. And he's probably used to working with students that maybe had more time to allocate towards chess. But I, I think he was hoping I would be spending 15, 20 hours a week. And I was probably more in the seven to 10 range. Like I want to work on this, but a lot of it's going to be weekends. Gotcha. Right. So like maybe like a half hour a day and then weekends. Yeah. Like play some online games each day, but mostly study weekends. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. So it sounds like you were really trying to do this as an adult improver, like the the, the average person I interview who says I've got about an hour a day on average. Yeah. So I'm like adult improver for the last 150 points (laughs) of my practice. And your coach was like, no, you're a professional. Because to get to master, you got to basically be almost professional level. Yeah, exactly. But he was, he was really good. Um, like one of the biggest things I learned was I simplify too often. I, uh-huh. you know, so a lot of the things I've, that I worked on to get to the master level were sort of rewriting some of the chess roles that I learned at a young age. Like mm-hmm. you're up material, you trade down, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that. Well, that's something that I was doing too often. I would be up just a little bit, start trading down but my mm. opponents kind of knew when those trades would actually benefit them. And then before you know it, I had almost no advantage, even though maybe I was still up upon and they would just hold right. the draw. Yeah. So realizing the win was like one of the big takeaways for myself. Wow. That's, and that's a big thing too. A half point to a point is uh that that's, that's a lot of rating points. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. I, I think it's one of the interesting things about coaches is trying to find that person who can both understand where you want to go um, and and I guess, and a couple things and then be good at coaching and then also like adapt to where you want to go and then still feel like they can help you get there. And I think that can be really challenging, especially if you're used to working with a certain group of people that has a certain amount of time, you, you know, you could see that coach being like, well, here's the deal. You're not going to make it <laughs> like you're yeah. not putting in enough time. And you're like, well, that's not the answer I want. I want to at least try. So. How, how receptive are your students to like different training advices? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I don't have I don't coach chess. I just teach high school. Okay. And um, yeah, it's it's a similar thing though, right? Because it's like, okay, so you want to go to Yale. Cool. What are you willing to do to go to Yale? And it's like, well, I'd like to do like 20 minutes of homework a night. And you're like, wait, what? Like these, these don't add up, right? Like I'm cheering for you to go to Yale. I'll help you get to Yale, but there's certain things you would have to do to, to do that. And I feel like it's kind of similar to chess, right? You talk to a new player who's like, I want to be GM. And you're like, oh, okay. What are you willing to do to do that? And they're like, I will study one hour a day. And you're like, that's awesome. Like, that's a lot of study time. You'll improve a lot. I don't think you're going to get to grandmaster in a year, but you know, you, you will improve. So, so if you want to go to Yale, you should probably be like coding AI or something in middle school. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how one gets into Yale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the best way is to have a parent that went there. Then, then you've got a real shot at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. But okay. So um, your, your improvement period, we'll, we'll, we'll say it like this. It's on the back burner. Who knows? Maybe Matt will wake up one day and be like, FM, you're in my sights. But for now, it's not. Um, 
So instead, it, you said you told me you're a statistical programmer. Um, <laughs> and so I guess my question there is like, what have you done with that? And how have you merged it with chess? Did you use it at all in your own adult improvement in that last couple hundred points? Were you like, ooh, I'm going to use statistics to try to figure out how to improve? Or have you used it in um, your training for other people? I've used it in training for other people. Um, for myself, more so just tracking some things in spreadsheets. Like I would track mm -hmm. uh, takeaways from my games in spreadsheets or maybe kind of look at the evaluations of positions out of different openings to see which openings I was struggling with. Um, but in terms of helping other people, kind of how chess goals first started was I ran a survey and it was a chess improvement survey and there were over 400 participants. And oh, they would wow. tell me like how many hours a week they spent playing blitz, bullet, rapid, classical. And then I would break down all the studying categories. Like there's how many hours a week on end games, opening strategy and so on. And then I was also able to map that to how many points they gained. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I used like some regression models and some non-parametric statistics. And I, I probably spent like a hundred hours looking at this data over my <laughs> life, you know, the same like group of 400 and some participants. Yeah. Uh, and that's what kind of was the birth of the study plans was I tried to figure out like, okay, what's the most efficient way people can improve. And it's different based on your level and your goals and things. And then can I give people just like, here's a blueprint, exactly what to do. So all you have to do is go in each day and just check things off. Don't waste any of your energy on buying chess books because I know myself and most chess what? players. Yeah, we have like a hundred <laughs> chess books. We've read 5% of the content at the most. I thought all I had to do was buy chess books and I would yeah, get just better. sleep on them. Yeah. <laughs> I sleep on them. I make my kids sleep on them. Their bed is actually made of chess books. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's unfortunate here that it doesn't work under the mattress. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds fascinating. Um, I'm going to be a little disappointed if your takeaway was just do tactics and nothing else because everyone already knows that. No, it's more controversial than that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Cause that would have been a little bit like, all right. I mean, that's cool that we got some more confirmation. All right. What, what, what is the big thing then you found that that helps everybody? So the, the biggest thing is playing games. And I think that part should be obvious, yeah. but you know what the number one thing is I find for adult improvers that they need to work on. Mm, what is it? Play, play more games, right? Because adult improvers, yeah. they're the ones that just bought three books on Amazon last week yeah. and they're going to study all these books. And I asked how many games have you played last week? Mm -hmm. And they kind of think about it. It's like, well, I played one classical league game and I played, you know, an over the board game. I was like, yeah. Oh, you played two games. And, you know, there's that junior player that you're watching gain 400 yeah. points this year, just played 400 games that week, <laughs> you know, or just fact, something insane. My <laughs> high school student played three chess games while I was teaching. Yeah. Like exactly. that's where we're at a difference in games played. Yeah. Yes. So that's number one. You got to, you need to play a lot of games. Okay. Um, and then number two is analyze those games. So usually what I'll say is you should play at a minimum 50% of your chess time should be playing games, you know, mm -hmm. to be efficient. And that's a nice rule for adult improvers, because even if you want to study a lot, 50, 50 is going to be a, a pretty good balance. Um, okay. Let me ask you this question, though. What about the many adult improvers I've run into who have a fear of their rating dropping? Matt, if you play games, 
Your yeah. rating will drop sometimes. What do you have to say about that? That's a, it's a whole other area. That's just psychology. Um, yeah. You have to be okay with just enjoying the process and either you you win or you lose, but you have to learn something um, as many games as you can. Okay. So play the games. If your rating goes down, guess what? It'll probably go back up. Yep. Yep. The rating's a trailing indicator, right? So if your skill level is going up, your rating's going to go up unless there's like some huge inflation or deflation in the rating systems, which mm -hmm. we'll get to later, probably. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So, so yeah, play... play a lot. Game analysis, number okay. two. And then third, I would say, is tactics for most players. Maybe like 10% of your chess time on tactics. So 10%? Lot, yeah. A wow. lot less than what most resources say. Yeah. Wow. I, especially lately, I've been finding in my game analysis that I'm losing a lot on tactics still. You know, I'm at 1750 now, and I like to tell myself like, hey, your chess.com puzzle rating is like around 2700. You're a super grandmaster in tactics. It's mm -hmm. time to work on other things. And then I look at my games and I go, no, I guess not. Like it's it's really just still basic tactics. What time control do you tend to play? Um, I play three time controls. Uh, each week I play a 40, a 55, five classical game. Uh, I play as many 15, 10 rapid games as I can, which is not as many as I would like. And then uh, five, five is my, like, I don't have time for a rapid game. I want to make sure I get a chess game in. And do you find you're making the tactical mistakes in all three time controls or just the faster yes. ones? All three. Yes, I do. And that's the disappointing okay. part. Like I get these great wins, even in my 55 fives, but they're marred by tactical moments where I'm like, Ooh, boy, I, I should have seen that. Or like, even if it doesn't lose the game, right. It's just kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't even notice that tactic was in this position kind of thing. And I didn't lose on it. And it, and even if they had done it, uh, it wouldn't have changed the evaluation. But my mind didn't even see it. That's kind of the scary part to me. And do you find it's like shorter tactics or more calculation tactics? Um, I think it's more, there's a lot of shorter ones because the longer calculation ones, I just kind of go like I'm not I I'm not gonna beat myself for missing a nine move like sequence right that that's Stockfish's yeah. thing that's not my thing. Okay, so I think one thing you can do is so you know tactics is something that you need to work on. You can use your games to train your tactics. So mm. when you go into a game, always be thinking: Is this a tactical situation or not? Because you know that's something you need to work on and. If you're playing online, it's easy to do. You could just, you could even jot down the move numbers or, you know, put them in a spreadsheet or something. This, I think, is a critical tactical moment or not. Yeah. And then when you go back through it with Stockfish and analyze the game, you can see how often you're correct. Um, that's a little mm -hmm. harder to do with OTP because you don't want to really take notes during the game, but yeah. you can use your game to, uh, games to work on tactics like that and then re retry your mistakes after. I think this is a good idea. Or you could do what my daughter's opponent did last night. And just talk to yourself the whole time out loud. He was <laughs> yeah. there was this one moment he was sitting next to me and I heard him go, Oh, I have a great idea. Like <laughs> pretty loud. And my daughter's like, uh, you do? Okay. And then this one time he hung his night and he went, Oh no. 
Was it like an, oh no, my queen moment though? Yeah, and my daughter didn't even see it. She just like moved (laughs) on and I was like, if someone yells, oh no, you two look carefully to see if they found something. So a little bit of a tell. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. So he does his analysis out loud in the moment. You're saying, maybe I don't do that, but uh, I make a mental note of spots where there seem to have been tactics. And that is something I do. What I'll do oftentimes on my score sheet if I feel like there might've been a tactic I miss, I will write down the time because you're allowed to write down the time on the clock. Idea. Yeah. I don't write all the time. Always. I only write it in selective moments. Good idea. Oh, I believe that is still legal, even if it's weird. Or you could, yeah, put a, put a little dot or something or align your, your letters on the score sheet a little differently. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's a good point. I could do that as well. Or I could do what my, one of my other daughter's opponents did, which was uh, just annotate the game during the game. Like my daughter made a move he disagreed with and he put like Bishop E1 double question mark. I was like, whoa, okay. Okay, so this happened uh, on Tuesday night. I was at the chess club, the local club. And there's a new USCF player, but he's he's an experienced FIDE player. uh, Mm. Just recently moved to the US. And he was writing down, yeah, question marks, double question marks, exclams for both players. (laughs) And we were joking about that so much after the game. I was like, if I played you and you wrote down a double question mark by my move, I might just take your scorebook and toss it. (laughs) I believe you're not allowed to do that. Am I correct? I don't think, well, so I don't know if it's in the rules or not. I I think it is. I feel it's a distraction if not not note-taking. Because one of uh, my guests was saying how he would take notes during the game Mm -hmm. on his score sheet. And so I actually looked it up and it says, at least for USCF, you can only write down the move and the time. And so that's okay. why I had, I adopted my like timekeeping note-taking method. So if you're out there and you're annotating the game mid-game, I, be- I don't know what the punishment is, but I believe it is technically not allowed. Yeah, that makes sense. And even writing down the moves before you play them, I think is frowned upon now for USCF, isn't it? Yes, you're not allowed to do that. You have to do it after you move. Okay interesting rule changes so if you're thinking about going to your first tournament there are some small things good news the small things people are usually pretty generous about so it shouldn't be that big of a deal okay so back to your advice you're saying play games analyze them do you have limitations on this like what if i love bullet and i love analyzing my bullet games is that legit or uh, should I tell myself, let's be realistic. Sure, I'm analyzing these, but but these aren't really legit games. Yeah, I think bullet is probably only useful for kind of practicing your opening lines, um, but it's really rating dependent and player dependent. So for a lot of the chess goals members, I'll say like five plus five is a good place to start, which is what you're doing for mm-hmm. blitz. Um, and any faster than that, it's sort of as you're comfortable playing those time controls. So like for myself, I'll do three plus O quite a bit because that'll mm. get the most competition. Um, and that works okay for me, but I don't think for myself anything faster than three O is beneficial. Um, okay. So yeah, it's kind of based on your your own personal level and comfort zone, I guess. Yeah, I've really wrestled with whether <clears throat> I should speed up. So for instance, there's a local meetup that only plays five O. And so mm-hmm. if I wanted to compete better in that, that would be something to practice. Like you said, it seems like a lot of people are migrating to like 3-2, 3-1, 3-0. My mindset has been if 
uh, over the board classical tournaments are what I'm prepping for. It would make more sense to have an increment since I will never be able to just make cheap moves to flag an opponent. So I yeah. just kind of have in my mind, like it would make sense that even in a blitz game uh, where we're both in a time scramble, the time scramble, they would still be able to mate me with like a queen and a king. That's true. I think there is still a little bit of value for you to to play slightly faster than your increment um, with kind of the idea of if you're training faster, like let's say you train with a two second increment online, that will make your five second delay or five second increment over the board a little bit easier. It'll feel slower. Mm. Whereas if you only play five plus five and let's say you play 55 delay five USCF, you get down to five minutes USCF and it's all, it's already going to take a second or move a second or two per move extra over the board, I think, compared to online. It's just not yeah. quite as fast. Mm -hmm. So I think there is some benefit. Um, okay. And you're at a high enough level where I think you could play, you know, 3-0, 5-0 if you want to. Um, okay. It's not like you I'll try that just to see what it's like. I did yeah. set up, um, I was just at the club before the overboard tournament started and we were messing around and this kid was like, hey, you want to play Blitz? I said, sure. And I set up 5-5. Five, five. And this mm -hmm. guy walked by and he goes, five, five. What are you? You're just ruining Blitz at this point. <laughs> he had a very strong reaction. I was he like, wants pieces flying. And yeah. yeah. Thank you for your uh, thoughts, sir. But you can keep walking now. <laughs> yeah. We like five, five. Thanks. <laughs> so that was interesting. Okay. So you are suggesting that maybe, maybe going a little faster would give me some value. Yeah. Sprinkle some in. I think it helps a lot in the time pressure scenarios. Yeah. I have, um, so I have I had two serious time pressure scenarios where I was playing. Uh, I had like a minute left. And the first time I just completely collapsed under a five second delay. It just wasn't enough. And then I did some training with my daughter where she gets 55 minutes and I get 10 seconds, five second delay for the whole game. Uh -huh. And it was good. It got me into like the rhythm. And then I got into that pressure uh, later and I played uh, like 35 moves on essentially like 10 seconds with a delay and in a drawn end game, right? I didn't have to do anything special, but I didn't feel the pressure as much. So I hear what you're saying that maybe if I'm speeding up um, my blitz game, I'll also maybe my, I'll force myself to investigate the tactics a little bit faster as well. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's true. Yeah. It'll build your tactical intuition. Um, So let me ask yeah. you this. When you play the 55, five games, who tends to get in time pressure more often, you or your opponents? Um, I'd say my opponents. I've okay. I've done a pretty good job of um I've sort of adjusted my game in the last year. I was running into this problem where in regular positions, I would start fantasizing, right? And I'd be like, oh my goodness. And I'd I'd come up with like this massive variation that if I ever actually did it, it would always lose because it'd be like, what are you doing? Um, yeah. So I've just really kind of adapted my game to be like, if Rook E1 is right, just play Rook E1, right? Like if it's not a tactical moment, like you were talking about trying to have your spidey senses going, just a regular position, just make improving moves and don't spend 10 minutes agonizing over every improving move, just make the move. Um, and yeah. that's actually helped me a lot, at least in that time control. Oh, that's really good. I mean, that's a skill in itself, being able to just make it, knowing when to make a quick decision. So that's great. Yeah. And it hasn't really backfired either. I was a little nervous that I'd really start missing some stuff, but I, but I really haven't been. It, I've really, all I've been doing is preventing myself from making 
horrible blunders based on overcalculation. So that's been good. Do you try to play for the initiative and press your opponent too? Um, not as much. I play a lot of like super solid structures where I'm often kind of daring my opponent. Like, okay, like I'm going to play solid. I'm going to take the open files. I'm going to, you know, uh, try to just play well. And then oftentimes they're like, I can't take this. I'm going to make something happen. And I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. I don't think you can, but you can try. No, that's a good style too. Yeah. Well, players have trouble just sitting on their hands and slowly making a little improving moves. So that works. You're a counterattacking player, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I've especially found that to be the case with kids, right? Where they're like, if you're, if, if you're not playing an attack and they're not attacking, they're like, I don't even know if we can call this chess anymore. Like, what what are we <laughs> right. even doing now? Are we just like doing the dishes or something? And I'm like, I do the dishes every night, man. Let's do it. Let's do the dishes together. <laughs> yeah, I can do this all game. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, maybe I, maybe I'm a boring chess player. I don't know. Um, yeah, okay. The reason I ask that is because uh, I know some players just look for blunder prevention, and that's uh, it. But then they might play too passive. And allow their opponent to kind of dictate the pace of the game and then they end up blundering and they get uh, frustrated like oh i work really hard on not blundering yeah. and i'll review some of their games and i'll say well you're not posing any tough questions to your opponent you're letting them set up however they want and then they pose tough questions to you and you tend to make more blunders that's what's happening so mm -hmm. it is good to have that balance where you kind of give your opponent those tough questions as well play for the initiative when you can yeah I think I do play for the initiative when I can, but I guess what I would say is the openings I've chosen are less sharp, less confrontational. Um, a lot of like, let's set up first and then start pushing things. But I am, I am trying to cause problems and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's dig into this. What do you play against E4? What's your defense? Yes. E4. I'm playing the Karo Khan. Okay. That's my favorite defense to recommend. Okay. And, and you can play the Carol Khan um, for the initiative too. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like the lines that I've chosen. I feel like they're not overly passive. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I guess what I like best about it is it feels like it gives me a chance to make some moves and know that what I have to fall back on is a super solid structure. Yes. And that, like even if everything kind of goes haywire in the middle game and I've made a couple moves that turns out are inaccuracies that look like they might be good. It's like, I can reassess and be like, okay, what's the fallout here? Oh, the fallout is this kind of a drawish position. I guess that's fine. Yeah. Right. And then they'll, maybe they'll overpress in that, at that point. Yeah. Especially I end up, I try to play up a lot just because I enjoy, you know, the opportunity to play better players and learn from them. And I found that when you play up, they're especially likely to press, right? Because they're like, <laughs> this chump is only 1750. I'm 1950. I'm not taking a draw against this fool. And I yeah. had one guy just like, it was a draw. His only choice was draw or loss. And he was like, I choose loss. And I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. It's happened loss. to me too. <laughs> I don't mind. And okay. then what about D4? What do you play against D4? Okay, so D4 is a real problem, I feel like. Uh, I just play D5 and just play regular QGD stuff, and it's boring, and I, you know, slowly get set up. And 
I don't know. It's fine. I feel like it's solid enough to where when I look at my games, I don't lose in the opening. And so since mm-hmm. I'm not losing in the opening, I feel like I should be working on the other areas of my game that need work. My QGD defense is fine. I never lose in the opening. The engine's like, your game is totally fine. Now, why you made this move later, I don't know, but but the opening's fine. But That's it's also good. not, you know, like uh, counterattacking or aggressive or anything like that. It's just solidly setting up. And then what about for white? Ah, as white, I used to play E4. And I really just got sick of like E4. What do you want to do today? Like, why, why am I giving my opponent so many choices? That's, uh, I'm yeah. white. I should get to dictate this thing. Yeah. So I've been playing sort of like a pseudo Catalan thing where it's like D4, then set up a Catalan structure, and then like a delayed C4 to take away a lot of the possibilities that Black has. So it's kind of like a another really solid, probably I can usually get some very small advantage, but not like a a 1700 advantage more like a you know 2600 advantage that i'm not able to just be like aha i have the edge it's more like cool we got an even game here no catalan's a great system i like the catalan a lot are you following the keep it simple d4 repertoire i don't want to spoil my repertoire for for listeners but i'll say this (laughs) definitely seen that repertoire Uh (laughs) also i don't i have this problem where I don't follow any one repertoire. What I tend to do, and, and that one's a bit of a, an exception because there just aren't a lot of people, then there are not a lot of games like this. But like, especially for the Carol Khan, I got like seven repertoires and I'm just like, what lines do I personally like? And I also feel like it's easier for me to remember them if I'm really selecting the lines based on the positions that I'm getting. I know the plans better. I, I know why I picked that line instead of just being like, I don't know. The course said this. I didn't really have time to, to learn it, so I just do it. Um, yeah. So yeah. But with the with the Catalan, a little bit more of that, just because like there's just not a lot of books on this weird version of the Catalan. I, I like the delayed version though, because it's, it's easier to play. They're not going to grab yeah. your C pawn early, and you can yeah. avoid Bishop B four check lines, and yeah, it's just solid. I think that's a good ses- good setup. Okay. Yeah. So that that's my starting point, and like I said, it's not super sharp it's not confrontational immediately what i like about it is the games feel very positional and so the the problems i'm usually posing my position my opponents are more positional rather than tactical in the early parts of the game mm-hmm. yeah when i made my push to the master level i picked up the catalan oh, okay. i went back and i looked at my stats later my over the board stats and my performance rating in the catalan was like 2394 over a 18 or 20 game stretch that's pretty amazing (laughs) and my rating was like 2190 at the time so it was just i was getting crazy results (laughs) mine is not nearly as good um yeah so it's it's interesting yeah i was following the avrook book um have you seen that one from quality chess the grandmaster series I don't think I have. Is it? But is it, it's just a regular Catalan, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's it's a really thick book. Regular Catalan move order. Yeah, with okay. C4 on move two. Yeah, I have a bunch of resources with that. But what I've been finding is I don't get a lot of regular Catalans. Um, mm-hmm. People are veering off because I'm giving them that opportunity to veer off with my weird approach. I think, A, 
they don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of like, wait, this isn't the regular Catalan. And they veer off into bad territory. Or yeah. they're like, no, I've got my way of punishing this weird version. And I just don't get a ton of like regular closed or open Catalans. It's it's kind of surprising. I really thought I would get more of them. I think the I think the uh YouTube culture is kind of changing that. Like players are just finding all these funky gambits and things now. And because yeah. I find the same thing. I rarely get like a mainline Catalan anymore against uh, players that I know are active online. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I it's I don't know. It's funny. It's like uh I feel like this goes to a lot of things. And we're gonna we're gonna veer way off course for just a moment <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> here. But as somebody who has a lot of degrees in the study of world religions, um, it's one of the things that I think we see there as well, where like maybe 20 years ago, if you said you were a, a member of a certain type of religion, it would be more predictable about like what kind of practices you do and and what kind of rules you follow. Whereas it feels like there's a lot more merging, um, I think, because of you know the internet and the ability to talk amongst different people, different religions, people combining ideas more freely than before, where it would be like, here is the authority figure, listen to me, kind of the same right. thing with chess, right? Like, here's the one chess book on the Catalan, let's all play like that. And we're like, got it, you're the GM, I'll do it. Um, and yeah. now there's just a lot of voices and a lot of opportunities to go different directions. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Interesting stuff there. So what I guess let's get back to our study plan here. Oh, actually, we're not even there yet. We're just what you found. So what you found is play more, analyze those games, and then still do tactics, but not uh, to the extent that people think you should. Yeah. So about 10% tactics. And then I would say another 10% openings. Okay. Um, so openings are one where the higher your rating goes, the higher the percentage of time I think you should allocate to openings. Um, you know, you look at super GMs and they might spend 80, 90% of their time just looking at openings. Um, but if you're a brand say. new player, obviously you don't want to spend all your time on openings. Just get the basics down and, and yeah. play. Sounds boring to me, by the way. If all <laughs> I did was like have the computer up and be like, I don't know, what if I went Rook B1 here? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I want to be a super GM. I mean, like I want yeah. to be a super GM, but I don't think I want to live that life. Yeah, I agree. I, I like it to some extent, but I don't want to lose because of some 17 move book prep. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that I'm... leaves us with 10%, I think. Ooh, and that's, that's it. We only have 10% left. Strategy and end games, 5% each. That okay. rounds out the hundred uh, percent. Okay. A question about end games then. Do you have a theory that would go something like this? Like, okay, you're spending 5% total of your time on end games, but maybe this week I'm spending a decent amount to learn these basic principles like opposition. Yeah. Like I just, I just take a week, learn that stuff. And then it's 0% for the next, however many weeks. Yep. That's how I design the study plan. So usually it'll be like that one week is end games. And then maybe you won't do okay. end games until the next month. So like a five week break. Okay. That makes sense. And do you recommend any resources like is Silman's complete Endgame course something you recommend or do you have other things you're looking at? That's the book I would recommend, yeah. And I like it because it breaks it up into those rating categories. Yeah. So usually what I recommend is try to know all the Endgames in your rating category and then one higher. And if you can okay. do that, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, I, I agree. I told a story recently on stream where back when I was like a thousand um, I was terrible at rating at, at end games, but this was like 20 years ago. So a thousand then was like, I don't know, 700, 600 today. And mm -hmm. I learned opposition and I learned like two other little things. 
And then I would just trade down to end games and crush everyone in yeah. end And I gained like 150 points. And then I realized, all right, now I don't know anything about end games anymore, right? Like I, I learned mm-hmm. from my ratings band, I was a master at end games. And yeah. then in the next rating band, I was back to knowing nothing. So it was, it was a nice fun run of being the master of end games. So you're winning end games like down at pawn, king and pawn end game, just like we're going for oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah. I'm going to outplay I would be- you. It would be a lost end game. Yeah. But the person doesn't even know opposition, right? They're like <laughs> randomly moving their king around. I'm like, all right. Woo. You're teaching them triangulation and oh, distant yeah. opposition. And <laughs> so no, I didn't know distant opposition. No, no. I, I hadn't gotten a handle on that yet. That took me a while. Um, okay. So I do agree. I love Silman's book. I love this idea of ratings bands. I've been recently thinking, why don't we have more books like that? Right? Like, okay, here's the strategy Bible up to this rating band. These are the only things you need to know. Um, I don't know. It's just like, it, it feels a little bit like false confidence, but still, I just love that idea of progressively going through to harder and harder things. I, I think it's just a great organization system. Have you looked at or read the Yusupov series of books? Have you heard of these? Okay. I have the <laughs> first two and I often go back to the first one. And what I found with them is they're maddening. Um, mm-hmm. They seem amazing if this is your situation. You don't have a coach. You have no idea what you need to improve on. You pick up the Yusupov book and you just read it cover to cover. But my problem is it's always like, okay, I just played a series of games and I realized that I have this hole in my game and I want to fix that hole. And now I want to fix this other hole. And the Yusupov organization system is so haphazard and so thorough in covering everything that I've I've just personally had a problem working with them. Sure. And that's that's understandable. I think for some players, I recommend those Yusupov books because it is sort of based on the rating bands. Um, mm. Sometimes some of the chapters seem too high or too low for the, compared to the rest of the book, but you can just use it as a coach and say, like, I want to do one chapter a week. Maybe on Saturdays and Sundays, I just, you know, read the examples and do the nine training exercises, take the test, go on to the next week. And then you don't have to really waste any time figuring out like, am I going to pick up a pawn play book or am I going to pick up some other end game strategy book? Like you just do your soup of and trust the process. So for some people that works really well. Yeah. And I think it also mirrors what you were saying about tactics because there it's all tactics, like even the openings chapter. Like I read the like basic opening principles. I was like, okay. And I'm reading through. Mm -hmm. And then the test is like, here, solve all these opening tactics. And I was like, wait, I thought this was a chapter on opening principles. He's like, it is. And tactics underlie everything, including the opening principles. Okay. So here's a cool thing with the Yusupov series. And this goes back to me being a spreadsheet nerd. I made a spreadsheet where I went through the table of contents of the main, I think there's 10 books now, but the main nine Yusupov books in the series. I went through the table of contents and I categorized everything, like openings, tactics, strategy, or end games. And what I found was the earlier books are almost all tactics, but then they slowly shift from tactics to strategy and calculation and like openings. So it actually bases the books on what level you are and what Yusupov thinks you should be studying. So I found that kind of fascinating. Like in the higher books, you almost do no tactics, no oh, short that's tactics. Fascinating. Okay. So what you're saying is maybe this could be an answer for me. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You could Maybe do them with your daughter too. Like, see if she'll solve any with you. They're way too hard for my daughter. <laughs> She's still working on uh, everybody's first chess workbook because okay. this is her way of doing tactics. If she doesn't find it within three seconds, she's angry. She's like, what? This is impossible. It's literally impossible. And I'm like, all right, first question, whose move is it? And then she'll yeah. she's like, oh, it's Black's move. Never mind. I see it. Um, that's step one. And then step two is I come over and uh, after, you know, 20 more seconds where she's about to close the book, I'll give a small hint of like, I don't know. I feel like maybe that loose piece is important. Yeah. Uh, but the book yeah. how to beat your dad at chess. We don't have that one yet. We we are doing the Polgar, um, it's like defensive tactics where it was just simply like she was blundering a lot of pieces, and this book is great. It's just like, do you have a piece being attacked by another piece? If so, move it to another square. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing for her. She did a hundred of those puzzles, and she blunders way less. It was really quite amazing how children can do that. You know, an adult can read that and be like, that didn't help me, right? I'm still blundering. But for yeah. whatever reason, the way kids' brains work is they're just like, okay, now I don't blunder as much. That's cool. Yeah. I, w I wish I could uh, have such immediate response to the books I'm reading. It would be great. Yeah. Okay. So Yusupov, that's interesting. I, I'm wondering also, uh, do you ever recommend people skip any of the books? Or is it just like, well, just do them and it doesn't take that much time. They're not that big. I think, yeah, skip the books if you're improving faster than the levels of the books. Um, okay. So like the Orange series is kind of the beginner series. And, you know, I've seen rating ranges all over the place, but probably like 1100 to 1500, you could be doing the Orange series and getting a lot out of it. But I think like for your level, probably the Blue series I would recommend hmm. starting at. Okay, maybe I'll try that then. I got the Orange series because like you said, People recommend them all over the place. The recommendation yeah. I was working on was orange was like 1500 to 1800. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I don't know. I don't even know who that was. That might have just been a random internet person. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's really hard to say because, I mean, if some chapters are too difficult, I would say skip over it. If it's just like, I have no clue what the moves are, just go to the next chapter and you can always mm -hmm. go back later. Okay. I guess that's a problem I have is like if I hit a chapter and it's supposedly the book that's like the answer book, I'm like, oh, I can't skip it. Like if I skip it, then I won't know this thing. And Yusupop will think I do. And then we'll get to this other book and he'll be like, what do you mean you don't know that? So, no, yeah, it's it doesn't really do too much building on itself. And you could set a timer too, like, OK, I'm going to do five mm -hmm. minutes per puzzle. I can, you know, work through nine and 45 minutes, maybe 15 more minutes looking at solutions one hour, I got the test done. Like you can just do whatever works for you and you're still going to get value out of it. Okay. Well, that sounds reasonable. Okay. So we've got, but, but, but I guess the question is if we're playing half our time is playing, are we spending like the other half doing Yusupov then? Yeah. So I have a, I have a study plan that's based on Yusupov okay. and a lot of it is just play, analyze, do puzzles, and then do Yusupov on the side. Um, if you don't want to do Yusupov though, I would recommend finding some sort of resource for each of the other activities. So like for your openings, maybe you have a YouTube channel that you follow and they play a certain repertoire or you bought a course somewhere. Um, but I would try to stick with like a consistent opening. And then for your tactics, I like the woodpecker method quite a bit. Um, just the kind of going through the same or the woodpecker book. 
or both? I have the book, um, but the method too, like going through the same sets of puzzles over and over, I think is pretty Mm. valuable. Okay. And then for strategy, I'm a huge fan of Silman's Reassess Your Chess. I know not everyone likes it, but if you want just a dedicated strategy book, I think that's really good for intermediate and advanced players. Okay. I haven't read it yet. It's on my shelf. It's very big. It's a little bit daunting. Uh, And I have read other books. So like for me, I've read uh, Ludic Pachman's Modern Chess Strategy. I've read Simple Chess. Uh, I've read uh, The Power of Pawns. I've read... Mm -hmm. Shanklin's pawn book. So I guess my question is, do you feel like something like um, Reassess Your Chess uh, is going to have enough different interesting material? Or do you kind of, it's, it's the thing I wrestle with of like, have I already covered that level of stuff? Or should I read this amazing book, whether it's Reassess Your Chess or some other book someone's recommending that's also great? All right. So let's say you're playing a 60 minute game and you have three to five minutes to think on a move. And you know there's no immediate tactics in the position. Um, what's your thought process? My thought process is one, what's my plan? Do I have a plan or am I concocting a plan? Um, number two is sort of looking at my pieces and figuring out, you know, which which pieces can I improve, which pieces are um already in good spots. I'm looking at things like where are the pawn breaks? Um, should I be getting ready for pawn breaks? Can I already do them? Um, I'm looking at some things like, I, I might be, depends on the position, like who has a good bishop, who has a bad bishop? Is mm-hmm. is this a closed or open position? Am I looking to you know secure the two bishop advantage if I can? Are knights actually better here? My opponent's offering up um, a knight for a bishop because they're always assuming two bishops are better. Those are still things I think that are rel- relevant at my level. I think that's really good. Um, and that's pretty much what you described is what's in Silman's Reass or in yeah, Silman's Reassessor Chess. It's all about imbalances mm. and how to think about minor pieces and pawns and things like that. Um, and the other thing I like to do is I like to evaluate every position. Do you do that? Like do you have a constant kind of scoreboard of who's who's better uh, and how much? No. <laughs> my scoreboard works like this and it drives my coach crazy i'm crushing them yeah everything destroyed and he's like whoa hey you're not crushing them like you have an ever so slight advantage you know based on your space advantage and i'm like i know but it means i'm crushing him I'm like no no crushing him would be like you're up a piece you're not up a piece <laughs> uh yeah so no i'm i'm very bad at the at assigning a number to my advantage. Uh, I was working on the book. Uh, what is it? It's the it's the new book by the GM from England. Uh, and it's something like a super grandmaster. It's either calculate like a super grandmaster or something like that. But it is all these positions. And they say, not only what's the right move, not only what is the line, but now give me the number of your evaluation. And I just can't do that. I'm way off every time, even no matter what I get the line, right. I get everything right. And I miss all the bonus points, Matt. It's really annoying. (laughs) So that's something, this is a breakthrough that I just recently had. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's rated 1900 USCF and he has a coach who's an FM. And he told me that his coach 
evaluates positions throughout the game. Mm. And I guess this was a huge surprise to my friend. He's like, I didn't know that a titled player was analyzing every single move. What's the position? And the way he described it, it sounded like a lot of work. Like, yeah. oh, are you spending a minute every move analyzing the position? And then I started thinking about it and I told him, I do the same thing. Mm. Throughout the game, I'm always kind of thinking, and it's not always numeric, but sometimes like, oh, maybe I'm half a pawn down or half a pawn up, one pawn up, even though the material is equal. Mm-hmm. I always have the eval in my mind. And then I also look at um, how sort of risky the position is for each side. So if you think of statistics or math, like a mean and standard deviation, what's the mean? Is it a plus one? Is it a minus one? But then what's the standard deviation? And the more you're up, the smaller standard deviation you want. You want it to stay very close to that level that you're already up. And the flip side, when you're down, you want a crazy game. Yeah. And I started polling some of the chess goals members, and I realized that nobody is doing this. Nobody is looking at the evaluation throughout their games. They don't think about it. Mm. Um, so one thing I created, and it's kind of just like a random YouTube video on the internet right now, but it's the imbalance scorecard, I called it. And I made a spreadsheet and I just took all those common imbalances that you'll find in reassess your chess. I said, give these a value like plus one, plus 0.5, minus one, whatever, and then sum it up and compare that to stockfish. Hmm. Um, And if you take the stockfish eval and cut it in half, that's usually a pretty good approximation for what you'll uh, create with an imbalance scorecard. Like, oh, my knights are maybe half a point better. My bishop pair is maybe half a point better. And stockfish might say like, plus 1.8 or something crazy, cut Mm. that in half, you're at 0.9, very close to what you'd kind of came up with a 1.0. That's interesting because I, it, what I find interesting about that is I do do that sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it's like, like when the dust has settled, right? Like, okay, we had this skirmish and now I'm like, okay, where even are we? Like, okay, (laughs) I've got this advantage and this advantage and this, I think I'm up a bit or I'm up a lot. Um, but I don't quite have the like running tally because I'm just playing the game, man. And it's just mm-hmm. happening. And I take I'm doing the best I can. Okay. But you you think I'll even be able to do the better that I can if I have a I running. Think so yeah, you're already on the right track. You're thinking about pawn structures and balances, all those things. Okay. Yeah, add the eval. So okay. let me know how it goes. <laughs> all right. I'll become stockfish. I'll even <laughs> tell my opponent, I'll be like, excuse me. I believe we're at 0.5 year advantage. I don't know. How are you, what are you going to do? Write it on your score sheet, the evals. Write <laughs> <laughs> the evals. Oh, uh, this is a great idea. It'll drive my opponents crazy. What, yeah. what are you doing there? Okay. Um, I'm looking at the actual advanced study program. So I was looking at that. I was, I was intrigued to see, like, what would it look like if I was in chess goals? Would, yeah. I, would I agree with what I'm being told? Um, I see one of the things for at least the first week is daily games. Um, I'm not a big fan of daily games. So I'm curious, like when you talk to people, do you say like, well, daily games have this value, you should definitely do them. Or is it kind of like, well, if you don't find value, then don't do them. I'm sort of curious what you think with that. If if you don't find value in daily games, I say don't do them. Um, I think the value for daily games is one, it keeps you thinking about chess. So if you have like a mm. chess.com app on your phone, every day you're getting a notified, hey, play a move, yeah. play a move. Um, and number true. two, some people don't have time to play classical games mm. and you can create 
an environment where it feels like a classical game using your daily games. Set a timer or a clock, have your physical board set up and say, I only want to spend five minutes on this move or 60 minutes for the whole game and just pretend it's a, a classical game, but you're just playing a move each day. Hmm, I like that. I think the reason that I personally have struggled with them is the competitive side comes out in me too much. And mm -hmm. I'll be like, I've got three days to make a move. So it better be the right move. And so I'll just spend all this time. And then I'm like, this isn't like, I'm first of all, I'm, it's not like I'm carefully calculating. I'm more like brewing about how I don't like my position. Oh, and then yeah. I'm brewing about it for several days. And in the opening, I'm because my opponent has the opportunity to use the explore. I'm like, then I should. Otherwise, I'm at a competitive disadvantage. And mm -hmm. I quickly spin myself into a place where they have less value. Or if I could just do what you're saying, I could see how they would have a lot of value. So I think for you, I would say scrap the daily games. Because um, these study plans are definitely not meant to be like the only way to do things. It's just mm -hmm. a base. So for you, I would say maybe you sprinkle in one extra 15, 10 every two days hmm. and, and you don't play any daily games. Okay. And that seems perfect. That's kind of what I'm doing now is uh, I try to play a 15, 10 game every day. I don't always have time, but that's sort of my goal. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like uh, day one is just play four five fives and, you know, that's certainly doable. <clears throat> if It sounds like if you have time for four or five fives, you would have time for a 15, 10. Um, are you feeling like more games is better or is that kind of like to give you a baseline or something? Yeah. If you have time for more games, I'd say do it. Um, okay. And I, if you're looking at the, are you looking at the one on page eight advanced study plan? I am looking at yes. Page eight. So in this plan, I even have that column uh, called maximize. Yeah. I really like that. And that was based on stats. Um, so it's like, if you want to really go to like, let's say instead of seven hours a week, goes closer to 14 hours a week, um, you can add those things in. So you could play more five fives or you could do a 15, 10 there too. Um, mm -hmm. And then add in some opening review as well on that first day. Okay. What I'm liking about this, this plan, the more I look at it is a lot of what I already do is reflected in this plan. So yes, it's like, you don't have to change much. Well, what I mean more is like, it resonates with me where I'm like, yeah, these uh -huh. are the things that I think work. It's like a different order. Um, I like say, for example, on day three, you have like, that's the first time you have puzzles. Whereas mm -hmm. for me, I try to do more of a thing where it's like, I do some puzzles every day as kind of a warm up to prepare my brain to play games. Oh, yeah. So for you, I would say wherever it says daily games, mm. cross that out and put puzzles. Ah, okay. And, and I made this a, as like an editable document. So you can, you know, download your own copy and you could just do a find and replace wherever it says daily games, say do your your puzzle warm up. Okay. Uh, and just to be clear way. for everyone out there, this this part is a free resource, right? This is just sort yep. of the, like the generic um, template uh, as a starting point. Yeah. And you do have to sign up for the chess goals email list and you can unsubscribe after that, but that will give you access to all the free study plans. Okay, great. Um, okay. Yeah. So then the, like day two has play a 30, 30 game, a 30 O game and then analyze it, which seems uh, very reasonable. Uh, okay. So, it's, so this whole week one is just a lot of like 
play games. Yeah, and then we got Yusupov on the weekend, so you can enjoy yeah, your Yusupov chapter. Ooh, okay. All right, so we've got Yusupov on the weekend. And so this really is just mirroring the research you did. Just play tons of games, analyze them, some puzzles in there, not yeah. not half puzzles like what I would... I've been really amping it up to like uh, 60% maybe puzzles and calculation recently because oh, wow. I was like, I really just need to address this issue. And it kind of sounds like what you're saying is just address that issue during games in addition to the puzzles. Yeah. Use your game reviews to focus on uh, the tactical stuff. Okay. So that's interesting. All right. Let's, let's move to week two for a moment. I, I haven't actually had a chance to look at week two. Okay. This is going to surprise you all out there. Lots of games and <laughs> yes. analyzing them, which is mirroring very close what you said your data gave you and then what your um, philosophy is. And then, ooh, we've got 60 minutes of opening work on the weekend. Okay. Yeah, in a day of just puzzles. Ooh, so. a day of just puzzles. Okay. So really admitting that puzzles are indeed important. So I, I guess this is a question I have. Um, I sort of gotten into this idea of like small habits every day can be more effective do you personally think it's more effective to do like a 60 minute slot of puzzles or to kind of do like x amount of puzzles every day or is that something where you don't have a strong feeling and you just sort of are like we need to do puzzles during the week i think the best answer i can give is whichever motivates you to get it done so okay your, if your tiny habit is I do chess each day, that could be enough. You know, I, I do my study plan each day could just be your habit. Mm -hmm. um, because one thing that I run into personally is I get distracted if, if I task switch too much. Okay. Um, so if you told me like every day do two minutes of openings and two minutes of puzzles <laughs> and two minutes of this, like yeah. that won't work, you know, at a certain right. level, it's too fast. So I okay. think it's what works best for you. Yeah. And I do like this idea that um, you can meet your chess goals just by chessing, uh, checking off boxes every day and that yeah. it's a, a thoughtfully crafted way of doing that. I'm not seeing any Yusupov on in week two. Have we just mastered Yusupov now? Is that the deal? He, he's We're... back week three. He's back. Oh, he's <laughs> so back. it's it's okay. kind of it goes in four weeks, four week chunks for the most part. Okay. Um, so you'll see Yusupov in week three and then going to week four. There's mm -hmm. like an end game session on the weekend, some more okay. opening work and some more puzzles. So Got the way it. I set up this plan, it you get most of your playing and analyzing in on the work days, Monday through Friday. And then you have the kind of weekend stuff where you can dig into books or do other sort of training. Okay. Well, this sounds, this seems really great. When you work with people more individually, um, are you going in and sort of like trying to set up um, a plan that, that works more? uh for where they're at or is it kind of more of like this these are my desires or this is the more limited time i have or the more the more time i have uh how does that work for you as you're trying to make these sort of like really specialized plans yeah i try to combine both so what sort of things do you like to work on where are you at and then how much time do you have mm. um because i find some students they're just like I will not read a book. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, okay, we'll find something that works for you. That's okay. You know, it's because yeah. kind of going back to you should keep chess fun. Um, so I think if you can combine fun and efficient training, you will hopefully combine those and see progress and it won't feel like too much work. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I've been, I've interviewed so many people 
that are like ashamed that they don't read chess books. And I'm like, you don't need, this doesn't matter. It's just a resource, right? Like, yeah. I, I wish that I could get more out of videos, but that's just uh, the era I grew up in. I was trained that videos were the fun thing you did after you were done reading and my brain cannot adapt. And when I watch a really great video, my brain is still like, la, 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 what? Mm -hmm. That was fun. And you're like, no brain, you were supposed to remember those things. <laughs> yeah. That's like, nope, sorry, it's I did not do that for you. It's not uh, active enough for you. Exactly. So I'm very jealous of those of you out there who struggle with with books, but can get uh, so much out of videos. So I think I think, like you said, whatever works for you uh, is is really the the answer. Mm -hmm. All right, Matt. Well, this has been pretty fascinating. I really I feel like one of the big struggles for adult improvers is not the amount of resources. Right. It is. It is finding a plan that you think works and then finding the time to enact it. So uh, from everything I've seen about your your plans here, they look really great. They're free materials. So I would definitely recommend anyone out there to go um, check them out on Chess Goals and just see, maybe try it. Would you recommend that an amount of time do they, does someone need to try it for like a full 12 week block or can they do like a four week block and kind of evaluate from there? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, they're 12 week plans and I recommend that four weeks. Okay. So going if you can for... stick with it for 12 and trust process, um, then yeah, that that's great. Okay. But a minimum of four weeks. It does seem reasonable mm -hmm. that after like one week, you shouldn't be like, ah, the plan didn't work <laughs> yes. in one week. I'm the same rating. Unfortunately, yeah. that's and then we have a forum on chess.com, which is free. And we recommend that people go in there every week ah. and post an update. And that's kind of a way that you can be held accountable. You can have your friends doing it with you and say, mm. hey, we're going to go in. And I mean, you don't have to use the forums, but just have someone yeah. that holds you accountable each week. Yeah, that's really great. It sounds like the chess punk community. And uh, oh, yeah, I haven't been seeing these as much lately, but the 100 days of chess and people would go on there oh, and, you yeah. know, talk about what they did today. So I wonder why that's died out. Oh, well, someone bring it back. Bring back the 100 days of chess. Yeah, that was fun. We need that. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you talking about, uh, you know, the perils of, of being a master and what comes next and then really diving into adult improvement. Um, I like this idea of playing games. I, I think you are really right in there that especially adults struggle with that because we want to learn we want to pick up all this knowledge uh we want to feel like we're knowledgeable about the thing we're doing games can also be kind of scary and stressful and pressure filled and you know what's not pressure filled reading my capablanca book there's no pressure capablanca wins every time it's great he never <laughs> loses he's a god um so yeah very helpful advice and uh matt where can people get a hold of you uh, if they want to talk to you and follow up uh, chessgoals.com. There is a contact link on the website. Uh, I replied all my emails, so that's the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. Sounds great. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Um, for those of you out there, I hope this is that week. You do the chess goals thing for four weeks. You gain 400 rating points. You write to Matt and you say, huzzah, I did it. But, you know, if this is a normal week and you don't gain a lot of ratings, that's fine. That's norm. Don't let it get you down. And uh, we'll see you next week for another guest who will have some more helpful tips. Goodbye, everybody.